Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16? This is one that I'd like you to highlight in your Bible, starting at 2 Corinthians 4, 16, all the way to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. This whole thing is a passage that is one that gives me some of the greatest hope of all of the scripture. And I say the greatest hope because it teaches the principle that Jesus passed on to his disciples and Paul is trying to pass on to the church at Corinth now. He's teaching them how the Lord is a light that shines within our hearts. We're supposed to let that light of the Lord shine. What hinders the light of the Lord from shining out of our being? Sin. If we're walking in sin, it causes that transparency that God desires us to be in this life. You know, when it comes to being a genuine Christian, we're an open book, basically. We have to let our light shine because of him inside us. And we have to become transparent. There's nothing worse than a phony baloney Christian. Those ones that, you know, they're all talk, but they don't really live it. It's like they've got a smoke screen up. It's funny to me that we actually use that term, smoke screen, as a way to block people from really seeing what's going on. But as Christians, we should have no smoke screen. We should have no smoke. We should have a clean glass and let the light of the Lord shine in us and people come up and go, wow, you're bright. Ma, you really shine for the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing when people see that light in you. Now, Paul's been talking about this and he said that this light, just start at verse six, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Did you know we have a treasure? The light of the Lord is a treasure in our earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We know that the power that we possess isn't because we are so powerful. It's because he is so powerful. How many of you have had the privilege to pray for someone and God touched that person and healed them? And you got to witness a miracle that the Lord did that sweet thing. He, he lifted someone from their infirmity. We recognize what Paul is saying. The power is not from us. The power is from God. He can have his power flow through that touch when we obey and do like the scripture says, lay hands on the person, pray over them. And for whatever reason, when God chooses to do that, it is a sweet thing that that power comes. And even it happened to Paul, the guy writing this, that he was used to see people healed. And they were going, wow, God is amongst us. It's God. And he goes, no, I'm a man. Remember they were trying to worship him as God? And they were worshiping his colleague as we got Apollos and his companion. And Paul was like, stop it. I'm just a man. He tore his shirt. But look, this is just flesh and blood. I'm just a regular guy. But what they were seeing was the power of God flowing through his life. And they were mistaking it as the power belonged to Paul. Paul's like, no, the power came from above. I just am a conduit for that power. Now, Paul understood this in a depth that I think that some people don't quite understand. See, Paul, at one point in his journey, he's going to be sharing the gospel, and they're not going to really receive it in that town. I mean, he was so liked in that town that they stoned him to death and then said, you're a piece of garbage. 
And they literally threw him over the city wall into the trash pin. And they left him for dead. Later, Paul will write that he knows of a man, whether in his body or out of his body. He says, I do not know. But this man was caught up to the third heaven. First heaven is our sky, where the air is down here under the clouds. The second heaven in Greek culture is when the sun goes away and you see the stars above that. That's called the second heaven. And the third heaven in Greek culture is the place where God resides, his throne. First, second, and third, the words actually connotate degrees of greatness or grandeur. The first heaven, it's okay. It's grand, but not real grand. The second heaven, more grand. You look at the stars and the heavens and wow, look how expansive they are. Literally, the word has a, a double meaning. It means it's grander, the second heaven. It's, it's bigger, better, more expansive. And then there's the third heaven where God dwells. Now, Paul says that this man, I'm not going to boast about other stuff, but I'm going to boast about this guy. He saw things in the third heaven that aren't even able to be put into words. They're so inexpressible. The, the glory of God is so awesome. Now, who is he talking about? Because it's interesting, he uses the third person when he describes the story, but almost all scholars agree he's talking about himself. He just didn't want anyone to get hung up on him, so... He put it in third person. I know of a guy, whether he was in his body or out of his body, he says, I really don't know. In the Greek, it actually signifies he was trying to say, look, I really don't know if I was in my body when I went into the third heaven or whether I had left my body because they had stoned him and left him for dead. I believe in that moment is when he got to visit heaven. But when he comes back from that visit, Lord says, get up, you're not done. Let's go. And I do not believe that you can have a heavenly vision, an encounter with the third heaven where God dwells, without it directly impacting your faith in such a deep way that when you start to talk about things that lie ahead, you're not talking about it from, I heard about this. He's talking about it from, I was there. I've been there. Been there, done that, and guess what? He can't wait to go back. It's one of those few times where you go, instead of been there, done that, don't want the t-shirt, he's like, been there, done that, and I want to go back. Forget the t-shirt. I want to go back to heaven. And he's going to talk about going back to heaven in this next passage. This passage is one of the most powerful scriptures. Paul says that while we're yet in these bodies down here, these earthly bodies that he says, that my outer man is decaying, yet my inner man is being renewed day by day. And for this momentary light affliction is producing a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but we look at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Why would he say that? The things that are not seen, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't see the third heaven. I see the first heaven, the sky and the clouds, and I can see in the night the starry expanse of the universe. And well, not really, but a, a little bit into it. I can acknowledge that those are really great, but I can't see the third heaven. And now there's some agnostic people that, well, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. I say, you're going to have really a lot of trouble if you want to go to college. Because they teach all sorts of stuff you can't see. 
I believe that a lot of people do what I call faith intellectual suicide. Because they adopt this attitude of, if I can't see the third heaven, if I can't see things of heavenly realm, then it must not be real. And I go, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You ever seen an atom? I haven't seen one. I had to learn about him in school. If you really study science, the more they dwell deeply into it, the more they realize how little they actually know about all these things. And yet, with great confidence, my professor would stand up and say, and all these things what you see today are made out of things which you cannot see, called atoms. I was like, you ought to read Colossians 3. For all things which are made were made by him. All what is seen was made out of that which was unseen. That was written by Paul around 60 AD. Man, the Bible's got like a 2,000-year jump on my professor standing up there going, everything you see is made out of stuff which is unseen. I said, you ought to just cite Colossians on that one. Give credit where it's due. God knew that a long time ago. We're just catching up to what God knew. This stuff what is unseen, this is the stuff that is real. This is the stuff that lasts forever. This is the eternal stuff. And this is the stuff Paul had a glimpse of eternity when he was caught up into that third heaven. And then he comes back down here and goes, man, I can't even put it into words how great it is over there. It's like inexpressible. I mean, there's not even words to match up with how great it is. It, that's how great it is. But he does pick one thing to key in on, and this is it. Found in chapter 5, from verses 1 to 10, this is just two paragraphs, by the way, in the Greek. As Paul writes these two paragraphs to this church, he says, Guys, we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, and he has given us his spirit as a pledge. God gave his Holy Spirit as a pledge, saying, I'm going to come through on my contract. I'm going to upgrade you. Our bodies are just tents for our spirits to camp out in. I love that he picks the word tent because he says that in this house, we groan, longing for that dwelling, that mansion that is awaiting us. Now, what did Jesus say in John 14? He said, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you, that I might come again to receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. I want you to come be with me. I want you to come be in a heavenly mansion. Now, a lot of guys, they teach it as, you're going to have a big mansion like palatial house, one of those $60 million homes up there in Coquillo or something. But Paul doesn't really actually mention it as a building. He mentions it as a building for your spirit. Eternal in the heavens. 
And he goes on and he says, this thing, what is mortal has to be swallowed up by immortality. This thing, which is corruptible, this corruptible flesh that we have has to be swallowed up by incorruption. We don't actually get to die as Christians. Jesus said it. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will not die. You will live. If you would have the perspective that your body is just for camping out for this season while you're on this earth, it will change your whole perspective about eternity. Because when you realize that someday I'm moving out of this tent, we all have that spirit inside us. You know it because you have it. It's that thing, that fire inside that makes you, you. And that is going to move when this tent finally gives up the last heartbeat and it's done. Your spirit's moving out. And if you have your faith in Jesus, you're upgrading right in that moment. Let me show you. Paul says this in verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. To learn things of eternity, you got to learn to walk by faith. I mean, it takes faith to believe it in an atom. I know when I first heard about it, I'm like, I don't think these are really real. Nobody has ever told me they have seen through an optical-aided microscope an actual atom. You know why? I can answer it right from the Bible. They're invisible. And all things which are invisible are eternal, and all those eternal things, even though God made it that way, they're invisible and eternal. Yet, do they have substance? Do they have power? So you're telling me you don't believe in atoms? No, I believe in them. I just can't see them. And I don't think that you have to see everything to believe in it. When guys tell me they don't believe it, if I can't see it, I'm not going to believe it. I say, look, let's go find a really tall building and do a little gravity experiment. You jump. I'm not jumping. I already did it. Your turn. Let's introduce you to gravity. Yeah, but that's just because it has to do with things down here that are real. I got news for you. God is down here and he's for real. And how do I know it? Because he gave his Holy Spirit as a pledge. The word here, pledge, is the word as an earnest deposit. In other words, like when you're going to go buy a piece of property and they say, well, how do we know you're earnest about this? Here, I'll give you a deposit. Non-refundable. Generally, it has to be at least 10% of the purchase price. Cash on the table. You don't come through. What happens? You lose it. They're like, hey, thanks for the free 10%. Fastest money ever made. But see, God goes, you are so valuable. I'm going to leave an earnest deposit for you. And that earnest deposit is my Holy Spirit. He's my pledge that I'll be back for you. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is he is given to each one of us. And it's that sweet work of an invisible God that we can't see and we can't hear. God's Holy Spirit, I don't ever have to prove he's around because he's already whispered enough to you guys. All I have to do is point out to you that that spirit was given to you as a pledge so that you can know God is real. And if it can be palatable that you're able to hear these things of the spirit, Jesus always said, let those that have ears to hear, hear what the spirit is saying. The spirit of God wants you to know you're going to get an upgrade. From this earthly tent to a heavenly mansion. I tell you this because he says here, we have to receive these things because we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul says, I'd rather be absent from this body so I could be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether we are at home or whether we're absent, 
We have one ambition, to be pleasing to him. Whether we're going to stay here in this body or we're going to stand before him, we want to be pleasing to him. It says in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. He says all of us have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, what about if we have Christ in our heart and we ask him to forgive us of those bad things? Then guess what? For you, it's going to be like my awards banquet because all the bad stuff already got washed away. And how far does he cast our sin from us? As far as east is from west in Australia. So that's never going to come up again. That's why I always highly recommend you deal with your sin now. You come clean with the Lord now. So when you stand before him then, guess what? Only thing you got left to get judged on is what good stuff you did. And that means for you, well, that's going to be like an awards banquet. Do you guys remember the parable of the talents in Matthew's gospel in chapter 25? He says that there was those slaves. The master was going to go on a journey. So he called some slaves to him and he said, look here, I'm going to leave you guys with some talents. Now, talent in the biblical term is a weight or a measure of wealth. In gold, it's actually 66 pounds of gold is one talent. But look, look at Matthew 25. He said in verse 14 of Matthew 25, for it's just like a man who goes on a journey who called his slaves and he entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. This is not a small fortune. This is a ginormous fortune. To the other, he gave two talents. This dude's doing all right. And the last guy, oh, to him, he gave one. Who, who is he talking about anyway, the master? Because the parables always are to teach us a greater truth. They use worldly examples down here, but it's to teach a heavenly truth. So who's the master, you think, in this story? God. And he's giving to his servants. The Bible says we're his servants. He gives us talents. And he goes away on a journey. And then it says, immediately, the one that had the five talents, he traded with them and he invested and he gained five more talents. This guy is up to 10 talents. He is rocking it. The guy that had two talents, he traded with them in the same way. He received two more. But the last guy that had one, he buried it in the ground. Now, after a long time, the master came to the slaves to settle the accounts. And to the one that had received five talents, he came up and he brought to the master five more and saying, Master, you entrusted me with five and see, I have gained five more. I used what you gave me and doubled it. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, as the one that had received two came up, he said, master, you entrusted me with two. And see, I have gained two more. And this master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, the one that had received the one, he came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you do not sow. You gather where you scatter no seed. And I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. See what you have. Here it is. It's yours. And he gave him back the one talent that was entrusted to him. Now listen to what the master has to say about this last guy. He said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. 
You knew that I reap where I do not sow, and that I gather where I scattered no seed. You knew this. Then you ought to have put my money at least in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore he said, take away that talent from that one and give it to the one who has the abundance. He said, for everyone who has shall more be given, and he who has an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And that one will be thrown out into the outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So who's saying these words? Jesus. Can I count on Jesus to know theologically what's going to happen when we stand before him on Judgment Day? Do you think he actually understands the whole thing about, I entrust you with certain talents, and someday when you stand before me, I expect you to have taken what I gave you and do use it? In English, the word talent doesn't mean a measure of 66 pounds of gold. It means a measure of gifts or abilities. All of you have been given different gifts from God different abilities. And someday you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, well, what did you do with what I gave you? This is sobering, but Paul is teaching the very truth. He got caught up to the third heaven. He stood before the Lord. He said, it's awesome up there. Can't wait to go back. But he also said right here, guys, don't forget, we're going to have to stand before his throne and give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And if you don't deal with the bad down here, you're not going to like that day. And if you read just the very next part of Matthew 25, Jesus goes on to tell the story of good shepherd is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And to the sheep, he's going to say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick or in prison, you visited me. And they're going to say, when did we do that to you, Lord? When you did this to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Matthew 25, the whole chapter, is Jesus talking about what comes after this life. And he doesn't shy away from saying, we're not going to have judgment. We are. I'd rather light a fire under your backside here, get you doing what you're supposed to be doing here, so that when we stand there, you'll go, thanks for telling me, Pastor. I needed to get going. I needed to start using what God gave me. I needed to start listening to that little small voice that kept telling me, stop it. Because you have it. You have his spirit telling you. Some of you are just professional ignorers. Stick your fingers in your ear and act like God isn't talking. God isn't there. He can't be real. He's invisible. You throw up whatever blinder you want, shove your fingers in your ear. He's still real. And he'll still warn you and he'll still talk to you. He'll still speak to your heart and let you know he's real. He'll help you through your hardest times. The psalmist says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Guys, God is with us. Now, this passage, I, I'm really glad I got through it, because in this passage from verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4 to verse 10 of 5, this is why this passage means so much. When my grandfather was laying in the hospital in Phoenix and his outer man was decaying, I would tell him, I'm like, look, it doesn't tell us everything in the book, but it tells us though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And we're going to stand before him. And then I would continue to read to him, if this earthly tent is torn down, what do we have? A mansion eternal in the heavens. This is the truth. Though this body that you have wears out, God is going to make a body not made by human hands, but 
made by God, eternal in the heavens. How's that make you feel? Well, Doc, can't wait. Best part is, I get a new building not made by man, made by God. I'm going to get a mansion. And so are you if you put your faith in the Lord. You get to upgrade too. I thought that would never happen. I guarantee you I thought that would never happen to my tent. Guess who knows better than me? Our tents are failing. Why don't we start looking at the things God has for us that are truly substantial, the things that will last for eternity, the things that actually merit our attention. Quit focusing on all this stuff down here. Some of you guys get so tripped out by the news on the television and so freaked out by stuff down here. Your focus is too much down here. You need to start looking upstairs. Focus a little on eternity. Do you think it's going to matter who did what to who in office when we're standing up there? Let those guys worry about what they got us answer for when they stand there. Are you ready to stand there? Because every one of us guys, not even one politician is going to get out of this. If it gives you any comfort, they got to stand there too. We're all going to give an answer. So why are you wigging out so much about the guys down here? Stop it. It's not what us Christians should be known for. We should be shining bright. Let's turn our eyes to him. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.